Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Spilling Lemonade podcast. This is your host, Cammie Nelson, back with another episode. Today, we are going to be discussing all things ED recovery and ED advocacy um, with Emma Warford. Emma Warford is a Children's Hospital of Colorado, Denver uh, patient advocate. Patient ambassador. Patient, okay, patient ambassador. And she does a lot of advocacy work. She's also such an icon in the recovery community. She posts TikToks as well as Instagram posts and really just helps out the community. Um, Emma, is there anything you'd like to add? Say hi or anything? I don't think so. My like handle is always M's underscore food mems, like food memories. But besides that, that's all I can think of. All right. Well, I'm so excited to have you here. And I know everyone else is excited to get to listen to you <laughs> speak today. So Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Um, I guess we could kind of get started with a little bit just about maybe I think probably people listening know a lot about your recovery, but for those who don't, just to talk a little bit about, you know, kind of what's going on in your recovery. And then if you want to talk about how you got into your advocacy role. Yeah. So my story is like really similar to a lot of people's, I'll say. So I won't go that in depth into it, but my ED started in the pandemic, I'm sure. A lot of teens did just because of isolation and slowly with school. For me, my ED was a coping mechanism because I'm an all AP student. I got a ton of stress and that slowly led to me having to go into treatment, various different types of treatment um, for a good amount of time. And one of those was at Children's Hospital Colorado, and that was my inpatient care team. And after I was there in May of 2021, um, for about a month. And then I went on to ERC and Bellevue, Washington, and then came back home to Colorado. And Children's Hospital heard about my story and they knew how powerful it could be just because it touches a lot about healthcare issues like coverage, talks about the waiting list, the mental health crisis, the lack of coping mechanisms available for kids early on. And they reached out to me and together, we decided it'd be a good idea for me to be a patient ambassador. So basically now I just tell my story a lot at a bunch of different events and I work to raise money for preventative mental health services, specifically in Colorado. And with them, I also do like national advocacy work like in Congress and just doing anything I can. I mean, the hospital saved my life and I wanna make sure no other teen goes through what I went through. Wow. Okay. I'm like, I need a second. That is like so impressive, (laughs) Emma. I mean, the fact that they reached out to you and that you were excited to help and all of that is just so exciting. And I just want to mention that you're very well spoken, by the way. Thank Um, you. Everyone says that. And I'm like, I try my best. Yes. Um, I guess. So my question, I guess, first question would be is like, has there been something you've gotten to do, like an opportunity, a specific event you've spoken at that has like really stood out to you so far? I think the biggest event I did with Children's Directly was their 2022 gala, which happened at a hotel in Denver. And basically, to put it straightforward, they ask a bunch of rich people to come into a room and to give money to Children's Hospital. Um, and so nearly over 2000 people were there. And I told my story in front of them and to show them the power um, 
I have and the power that's needed to fix the mental health crisis. And I also got to meet the Solich family and they decided to donate $15 million to Colorado's Pediatric Mental Health Institute, which is absolutely amazing. And I mean, yes, that sounds also amazing, but at the same time, if you think about that, that's like 20 providers. That's the reality. It's not even a lot of people. Um, but in words, it sounds really great. It is a big step for mental health. So I did, I really enjoyed that experience. It was really moving for me. It's the highlight of my year for sure. <laughs> that is so exciting. I love that that's the highlight of your year. And I mean, that's so awesome that you're able to raise that much money and that your story inspired so many people to donate. And I think speaking of your story, I would like to talk about, I know you've talked about a few times, not necessarily on here, is that the like preventative care that you do, as well as like um, work in terms of like waiting lists are long, accessing treatment is hard. And I was wondering, obviously not everyone listening will know exactly what you're talking about. Um, so I was wondering if you wanted to explain a little bit why you're specifically interested in preventative care, as well as your story with long waits and how that affected your recovery. Yeah. So the reality is I shouldn't have developed an eating disorder. No one should. And the reason so many kids do is just because from a young age, they're not taught how to prioritize their mental health and they don't have the resources they need in the moment they need it. So in the pandemic, I didn't have the resources I need. And that led to me developing an eating disorder. And then when I needed help um, beginning in January of 2021, I needed to be in a residential care program. There were no beds available anywhere. And that's just because there are so many patients currently needing help. My team at Children's even told me in one month of 2021, they had as many eating disorder patients as they had throughout the entire year of 2020. And I think that statistic is just like terrifying almost to see how much like mental health is worsening in our country. And you know, no matter how many hospitals you build, it's not going to be enough. Like you're going to constantly be having more, more patients coming in saying they need help. Like you have to start at the source. If you have a flood, you start at the source. You don't like keep trying to build resources, you know, and that starts really early on and like teaching kids that like mental health matters. And here are a bunch of services for you that are both equitable and affordable, in my opinion. Yes, I think that's incredibly important. I like the analogy to the flood because I believe that entirely. And I believe that it is something you resonated with me is that I shouldn't have developed my eating disorder and neither should anyone else. It's not, I like to think of it like this personally, it's not a natural thing to develop if that makes like from a biological standpoint, if, yeah. if mentally we were okay, like an eating disorder is a mental disorder and it goes against so much of your biological I mean it goes against your main biological need and I think you know if we were I agree with that like if we were helping if there were more resources available to younger children and to people into young teens and to impressionable people who are still growing developing that they know that mental health matters I think that can make such a huge impact and it it's so scary to hear statistics like that. I had a similar experience with the hospital I went to that they were like, yeah, in this, I think it was like, you know, in this week we had as many patients as we had in last month or something like, like it was something like that. And that's just statistics like that are scary because, you know, as it seems like as we progress as a society, we should definitely be 
going in the direction of better mental health. And unfortunately, I think there's so many different messages being sent, such as, I mean, I'm just going to say, I think diet culture is unfortunately growing just as advocacy for eating disorder awareness is growing. Unfortunately, I think diet culture is growing at the same time. And I was actually like academic motivation, like people prioritize getting into school so much that they are losing themselves and all these other things that like mental health is just the back burner, even to physical health. Like that's the whole concept of an eating disorder, like your body size and shape and mass content and how it looks is so much more important than like your actual mental well-being, which I think is ridiculous. Exactly. I I love that you mentioned the school because I think we've also shifted as a society where the pressure and perfectionism just runs so high to do perfect grades. Like, I mean, it like if you, like compared to like school so competitive or like I think about like I, when my parents grew up, they talked about they played all of these different sports. And now I feel like people are specializing in a specific sport when they're like eight years old and the pressure that's being put on that and pressure to do well, say you're in band or just so many different things. I feel like getting, you know, it roots back to that perfectionism. Yeah. And I mean, like perfectionism can be okay, but like in the moments that life isn't perfect, like you need resources, like the pandemic, life did not go perfect and no one had anything. So they turned into something horrible, an eating disorder, you know? Yeah. I think one thing that I love that we're talking about is oftentimes when I talk to people about eating disorders, you know, we talk more about how to handle them, but we don't oftentimes talk about how to prevent them and like the root of it. And I love that we're talking about the root because it all relates back to, I tell so many people almost every day that when they ask for advice on body image, I always just say like, it's not about your body. Like, and it's never been about your body. And I love that we're talking about the root cause. Cause I think when you're in an eating disorder, it can be really, really hard I mean, I know people told it to me all the time and I was like, no, like it's definitely about my body. And I think what I would say, I guess I want to add to someone who's thinking that hearing us talk is that like, sometimes you just have to take the leap of faith that what everyone's saying is true. Yeah. I mean, I for sure was in denial for a little about like the underlying issues. I mean, like no one likes being psychoanalyzed, but like far enough into recovery, you realize like, oh yeah, I, because even once you get recovered, like the same habits, like underlying habits tend to like carry forth with you. And you realize like, I'm never going to be truly happy unless I like solve this issue. Cause like, I mean, that's the whole concept of like symptom switching, you know? I totally understand that. Like from a personal experience, even after I'd recovered from my eating disorder, so many of the habits that weren't like not the direct habits of the eating disorder that make it an eating disorder, but the things that led to the eating disorder were still there. Like the black and white thinking, the need to be perfect or the competitive nature and stuff like that. And I still, I just transitioned into different mental health issues and different mental illnesses. I didn't, and it wasn't really until I actually finally went to treatment for that root cause, which for me is anxiety um, an OCD. And it wasn't really until I got like proper treatment for the root cause that I felt like I've been the best overall mentally. So I think that that's important to talk about as well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually like, feel like I see this a lot, like more of the creators farther in recovery, like physically speaking and like eating well-being, that kind of aspect, like 
they are usually struggling more with like mental health. That's not eating disorder related. Like I know, like after I got out of treatment, like I started to develop things that I won't go into specifics into, but I, and like a number of other content creators won't name their names, but like, I've seen them struggle with it too. And it's just, it's not over until you deal with that issue. Like once you gain weight, it's not over, you know, or once you overcome calories, it's not over. It's like an ongoing battle almost. I totally agree with that. I think, you know, one thing about mental health is that unfortunately it is going to be an ongoing battle, but there's going to be so much beautiful days and there's going to, the battle gets easier over time, if that makes sense. Like, like you battle less amount of time. Like, I feel like when I was first in recovery, 24 seven, every second of every day was a battle. Now it's like, okay, maybe a few minutes a day, I'm struggling with anxiety or this or whatever, but the battles come farther and fewer between. Yeah. Okay. Not that this is like a good analogy or anything, but like running, <laughs> like, you know, when you start running, it's like really, really hard. But even if you just keep like doing the same distance every day, it gets easier and easier, even though it's like the same amount of work. That's a really bad analogy for eating disorder. <laughs> context of it. Appreciate that, guys. Yeah, I get what you mean. I actually <laughs> yeah. I was thinking something similar. So I was thinking that was swimming. So that yeah. like that makes so much sense. Um, OK, I'm just going to be honest. Totally swift shifting gears a little bit. You said something that made me want to talk about a little bit. One of the things I haven't talked about on my podcast very often that I feel like people ask all the time is about like how you move away from like thinking about numbers. I know like, I don't just like calories and weight and stuff like that. Like how do you transition from in your own recovery? How did you transition from seeing food as numbers and seeing your body as a number and stuff like that? I'm going to be honest, like right after I got out of treatment, I knew what my goal weight was because I was not very happy with it. You know, a lot of people aren't satisfied with the number a dietitian gives them because like you go from a low to a high, it doesn't seem realistic. And going out of treatment, I was really controlling with it, you know, not letting it fluctuate. But like after coming through recovery, I've like seen like all the joys of recovery. And it's it's not like legitimate, like an argument I have, but I see there's so much more to recovery than like trying to control my body. And I think a big step that helped me in that was honestly like totally ditching the scale. I mean, in the best way possible. I know it's hard. I know it's like anxiety inducing, but like there's so many ways to avoid it. You can do blind weights and you can have your chart closed to make sure you can't see it. Or there's like clear steps, which is what I have, which is like a scale you step on. You can't see the number and it just sends the number off to your dietitian. It's like, there's so many aspects. And for me, like not knowing, even though it was anxiety inducing at first, but over time, like I didn't care. And I think there was even a study done, like patients in anorexia recovery specifically, um, when they had blind weights compared to non-blind weight anorexia recovering individuals, um, they cared less about their weight than those who knew their weight as they were gaining weight. So I think that just like goes to show like if you don't want to care about it, don't find interest in it and don't give in to the urge of knowing it. I <laughs> oh, I love that answer. I totally agree. And something to add, I think, would be I have somewhat different experience. So I never the minute I was diagnosed, I don't think I've weighed myself since. Um, and I mean, 
just all of a sudden all the scales disappeared. And also I've never, I've always done blind weights and I've never been told like anything on my chart. Um, occasionally in recovery, actually there have been a few times where like a nurse has like yeah. been like, Oh, she's stepping on the scale backwards. She can't see her weight. So I'll tell her it like, you yeah. know, silly things like that, that just, just not as informed, but, and I totally agree with like, I thought, I mean, cause weighing yourself can be very addictive. And I thought that I cared so much more about my weight. And then I realized when I, like, I just moved away from the number over time. Like the longer I went without knowing my weight, the longer it became like, like I started to realize, first of all, that the number didn't matter. Also that you can't see a number on someone. Like everyone's body is going to look different at different weights. Like if we all weighed the same, we'd still look different. Even if we were the same height, like that's just, Second of all, I learned there's no point in trying to control it. Like it's no, going to be what it's going to be. about to talk about like you literally cannot control your weight. Like your body, like if you're not restoring weight, I don't think people realize like your body will make you gain weight. Like it will slow down your metabolism enough to make you gain weight. Like there's no way to avoid weight restoration. And I know that can be potentially harmful and like activating to some, but that's just the reality. And I recommend opening up to that fact and trying to accept it because it's going to happen one way or another. I like to say, honestly, if you're in a restrictive eating, I, I'm just going to be honest, this podcast, or at least mostly this podcast, because that's what I struggle with. But this episode, I mean, both of us have struggled with anorexia. So this is very anorexia centered when we speak about eating disorders. So I do want to clarify that because I do yeah. understand different eating I, disorders. I are- don't have the place to speak elsewhere. So if you feel like I'm generalizing it, I'm just speaking on my experience and it's not valid for me to speak on anyone else's. So that, I want to say that thing. I need to start giving that disclaimer, but I have only struggled <laughs> with one eating disorder. So I can really only speak from my own experience in that one eating disorder, which is anorexia. But going back to what I was saying is that... Um, if you're having a restrictive eating disorder that caused you to lose weight, if you don't restore that weight, you have a few options. Either your body's going to restore it for you or eventually you're going to die. And like, I know that can be triggering to say. Or, or I always say the third one is it will be forced on you by a medical team. It Like there's, you got those options and like, you can continue your spiel. But I was going to say, <laughs> honestly, take the most fun option. Like what sounds the most fun? To me, it's like food freedom. Sounds the most fun. Self-promo. Absolutely. I love that. Cause like, and it's something about, I always said when I gained weight right at the, like when I was 90% weight restored. So they had told me like, okay, great. Your weight restored. And I'm just gonna be honest. I gained a lot of weight after that. Like, because my body was never, they were wrong. Like they weren't in my body. So obviously, yeah. Like, obviously they didn't know what my body was supposed to be. Like even my body, like they knew it better. And also I was going to gain aid with age you gain weight like I say that all the time so the older you get like it makes sense but um I remember like right when I was at that 90% like right when they had told me I was weight restored which was probably like let's say 80 or 90% right that was the worst time that was the hardest time of my body image when I finally got to the weight where I am now and I'm still growing still getting weight so it will hopefully get better I that is when my body image started to improve when I was fully nourished when I was a hundred percent not only nourished, but also in the body that my body was supposed to be at. That's when I started to feel better because I I knew I could eat whatever I wanted, 100%, whatever I wanted. And it first of all, I knew it wouldn't change my body. And second of all, if I did, I knew that I just didn't really care. 
like it was supposed to change my body. If I was eating it, I was supposed to be eating it and it was supposed to change my body. And I think ditching the scale is a great way to start to getting to that place. Yeah. And like also too, going off of that, one of the things that like helped me the most was like presence. I remember like really early recovery being told how much weight I had to gain. I was like, no, like I'm going to look totally different. I can't imagine myself in this kind of body, but I mean, if you just focus like right now, instead of in the future, it helps so much. Like, honestly, I, I'm going to be honest, like I'm very privileged in the body I've received through my recovery. And not only that, but I've like gained like ability to like do activities. And I think that just is like, I have defined my worth of my body, not by like size, or shape or even strength. Cause I know some people promote strength and recovery, but like ability and happiness and feeling, you know, which has just come through time. That was really confusing, but <laughs> no, it made actually a lot of sense. And I definitely like a lot of what you said that, that like, it's more about what your body can do, not about what your body looks like. And, um, it's just like, honestly, it's kind of like, it's crazy right now to think about like, when I brought this up and I don't know, I think sharing this can help is like, I forgot like until I started talking about this, that there was a time where I like cared about the number. Cause like, even though sometimes I saw bad body image, I never care like about what the number is. And honestly, I think like kind of going cold Turkey, as scary as that sounds. And like, I think, and it's not just gaining weight. I think it is doing, all the mental work and working if you have access and I know not everyone does but if you have access to like a therapist or a mental health professional I think you know obviously that plays a huge role in like really trying to rewire your brain change the thoughts you have while you're doing it and I just I love this topic but kind of moving on I wanted to talk about a little bit more about how you got away from like calorie counting I guess oh, okay now we've moved on from weight um <laughs> calories I would say there's no way to avoid them so obviously at times I still struggle with them but honestly it's been baby steps for me like you know like going from a calorie-based meal plan to an exchange-based meal plan to an intuitive eating meal plan and not only with that but like little steps in between have really helped me like having my mom cook for me that's been like a lifesaver or eating out at restaurants without calories I think that's been like one of the most helpful things like you will find like when you aren't focused on the number you are so much more free and when you listen to your body you are so much more free and there's so many different ways to avoid calories in general um temporarily and by avoiding them like you start to not think of them as important and that way eventually when you do see calories you're like oh i don't really care you know I 700 times. <laughs> I get what you mean. What I was going to say kind of on my own is definitely the baby steps is like starting on a meal plan that I had no control over at all, you know, because obviously, well, not obviously, but I, you know, didn't know exactly how many, you know, how much I was eating and then moving to an exchange based system where I could pick what I ate, but it was not number focused in the calorie sense, but more in an exchange sense and then an intuitive eating plan and then eventually off of a meal plan. And honestly, I feel like 
it takes time. Like it's, you're not just going to forget all the numbers overnight. Like, and I used to really want to, like, I really wanted to stop counting calories and I was like, I'll just stop tomorrow. But you know, it, I know there's like this weird phenomenon where you just like somehow are so much better at eating disorder math than regular math. At least I experienced that. Oh yeah. 100%. Suddenly I know conversions. So yeah, some grade does not agree. But no, like, I think it's so funny how somehow I picked it up so easily, but anyways, <laughs> I think that like, definitely when you said like cook, having other cook, cook, having others cook for me, eating at restaurants without calories, like, or not looking at the menu, like having someone else order it for me. And one thing I even speak to that is when I first started recovery, I saw a YouTuber did this. I don't remember who, but I would go to a restaurant. I did this like once a week where I would go and I'm, I want to ignore, uh, I mean, acknowledge I'm so privileged that I had the money to do this and not everyone will. And it's just not realistic for everyone, but I would take like one day of a week where I'd go to the restaurant for all three meals and I would have someone order it. Or if there was no calories on the menu, then I'd order it. And I'd just eat whatever portion they brought me, like the entire meal. And sometimes that felt like terrifying because I was like, this is more than I normally eat. But I always just said, I was like, okay, this is what they thought was an appropriate amount of food. So, and I don't know, somehow for me, that was like a really helpful tactic. And like, because then I, I wasn't, agree. then I wasn't even trying to be like, oh, if I eat a third of the plate, then it's going to be X amount. No, like I just didn't, eat, there was no point in doing math if I was all going to eat it anyways. I, I'm obviously not a dietitian, but something I did um, to help me kind of move away from strict calories and like this snack needs to be X amount of calories. This meal needs to be this much, you know, I was like, honestly, like try to like go above and be- not too far below, but like above and below, you know, and like, just like play around and like instead of like trying to do the math of it just try to listen literally to your body and be like you know have a meal that's way bigger than you would usually have and just listen to your body and if you want the same size snack have it it doesn't matter like your body knows how to deal with it and you don't need to micromanage at all that's the thing your body is honestly so smart like I your body's just so smart like it's gonna know what to do with it like it's going to know exactly what to do with it. Like your body's meant to have food in its system. So it understands it's wired to process food. And I definitely think, yeah, I love one thing I wanted to add was that like, I think one other thing that helped me move away from the numbers was trying foods I'd never eaten before. And then just, I promised myself like, well, okay. I was in residential treatment when I started doing this and I had no access to technology for the most part. So it was easy to do this because I literally couldn't. But I would try new foods and that I had never tried, even if it was just a new brand, something like that, that, so I had no clue. And then I'd start developing a whole new variety of foods that I could eat that I've never learned the numbers for. And over time, the foods that I did know the numbers for, I still, there's still certain foods where like, if you asked me, I might be able to know, but I never think about it while I'm eating. I don't think of food as calories. I think of it as enjoyment and fuel and happiness. And I think that starts viewing food like that starts with not viewing it as a number I love that I love that mentality <laughs> I, I was just gonna say something about that but I lost my train of thought <laughs> I think that is such a good idea and I mean just meal plan meal plans in general I mean they're good guidance but to a degree they are restrictive like we got to be honest they are restrictive and even exchange meal plans they are restrictive like you don't need to 
I mean, plate by plate, super great. If you're having trouble, like the concept of overall beginning recovery is enough food period. Like you don't need to be like, Oh, I need to get this amount. You just need to get enough to first like maintain restore if needed, if you need to gain weight and yeah, that's about it. (laughs) Yeah. I definitely think one thing I want to add is that I feel like since we're both quite farther along in our recovery and we're definitely not in the beginning anymore, we might be talking and it might sound a little bit, especially I think, I think Emma's done a better job at making it sound more realistic, but I think I maybe have made it sound a little bit like it was easy. So I just want to clarify that no part of it was easy. Recovery was the hardest thing I've done in my entire life and it was incredibly worth it. And I'm happy I did that hard thing, but it was not easy. It was not easy. I don't recall an easy minute of it for me at least. And that was okay because we have the ability to do hard things. And like the journey to get to the point we are at, like there's so many different ways you can do it, like through treatment, through yourself, through others, through friends, through the like recovery community. There's so many different ways. So don't take our experiences as like staple model of what to do. Obviously, if whatever you can do to get better, I think is enough. Um, just in the end, as long as the result is the same and like complete recovery, I think it's worth a try and worth doing. Absolutely. With that said, we are kind of nearing the end of the episode. So as always, for those of you who listen, I'm going to give Emma an opportunity to add anything else that she wants you guys to know, a takeaway, something about her, um, a topic we haven't talked about that's really important to her, something like that, just so she has the opportunity I'll talk for a second so you can have a second to think about it, if that's okay, or are you ready? I would say the only thing I didn't get a chance to talk about was my congressional work, which I Okay, Let's, um, we have time. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Okay. So obviously throughout this podcast, we've made it clear, preventative mental health matters, not just mental health matters, early on mental health matters. And as you guys know, there's a mental health crisis right now. Um, so this past summer, I went through an organization with Children's Hospital, Speak Now for Kids. And I got the chance to tell my story to a bunch of senators and representatives, a part of the 117th National Congress. Sadly, because of the pandemic, I didn't get to go to Washington, D.C. I was actually so sad, but it's okay. I got to meet my district rep and he was like, I am so proud of you. But basically, I just advocated for three mental health policies. Um, And I just think this goes to show, too, like, Yes, you have the ability in your own recovery, but you have the ability to like change mental health as a whole. So I really recommend informing yourself on policies and politicians. And honestly, like if you want yourself to get better and you want others to get better, one of the best ways to do that is through big action, which is legislation, which is like the route I took. Awesome. Do you mind talking a little bit more about what those three policies were? Oh my gosh. Hold on. I have the, I'm going to grab the. I have them written down somewhere. My- All right, we're back. <laughs> so over the summer, I worked on three bills, HR 4493, HR 4494, HR 7236 with representatives issue in Rochester. Um, and basically these asked for like over $3 billion in mental health funding. Um, and this would have been a big step. Sadly, I got put in with a bunch of other bills, like a health bill. So it didn't actually got stopped in the house, I think. Um, But obviously a new Congress is coming up this year, but 
if you actually go read into those bills, I'm not going to get into politics here, people, but if you want to learn about who's supporting mental health policies, I really recommend you do because you will see a clear cut, clear cut trend occurring. But, you know, those bills I've worked on, um, aside from the politics, were really good on preventative health and getting kids the funding they needed early on. These were grant programs that reached out to hospitals and those hospitals were allowed to invest it in their communities. So it wasn't directly going to the hospitals, like it was going to schools and other parts of like society where we would most need it day to day, not in like just the moments of crisis, which I thought was really important. And I just think that really all of this goes to show if you wanna make change, like for mental health, like share your story and find your voice somehow, whatever that means, like Cami with her podcast, me with my advocacy work. There's so many other people doing great things. And I think, I mean, obviously like making what I eat in a day is just like great and all for like supporting others. But like, if you wanna make a change, like do your research and try to try something new and reach beyond the recovery community to make change. I love that. I just wanna give you like kudos, like snaps, like, I'm a woman of lobbying. <laughs> yes, like, oh my gosh, you're such a girl boss, such an icon. And I think I just want to thank you on behalf of the community for the work you're putting in that's going to help everyone. That's so important. And yeah, I mean, you're making some really big changes. And I think that that, I'm so excited to see where your career takes you, Emma. And like, I hope you remember me when you get like all big and you're like, you know, like on billboards about like mental health. Political science, like, who would have known like <laughs> yeah but yeah everyone has the potential to do great things you have the potential to recover and tell your story and be where cammy and i are today because i know we talked a lot about where we are now but you can do it too don't think you are the exception Yay! all right with that said guys i want to give emma one big thank you and i want to give a thank you for everyone listening i really hope you gained something from this episode and I hope your takeaway was that you can recover and you can make big changes. And I'm so excited and I hope to see you at the next episode. Bye. Bye.